take your Bibles out and uh, we're continuing to go through the book of Genesis. We're up to chapter uh, 40. We've got a lot of ground to cover tonight. Uh, we're going to look at chapters 40 and 41 together because they form one consistent unit. In fact, chapter 40 prepares us for what we find in chapter 41. Going to be talking tonight on the subject matter, sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. Last week, of course, we looked at the uh, issue of Joseph meets Mrs. Weinstein. He uh, refused her sexual advances and that got him in trouble. So let's pick up reading tonight in chapter 40. Genesis chapter 40, Sweet Dreams. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? And they said to him, We have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I've done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you. 
and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. And on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. We'll read chapter 41 in a moment. Uh, Robert Dick Wilson was one of the great Old Testament scholars and Hebrew scholars in America's past. He taught at uh, Princeton University and seminary back in the days when Princeton actually believed the Bible. Uh, one day, though, the aged Dr. Wilson went to chapel because uh, there was a student of his, a student that had graduated 12 years earlier, and that student was going to be preaching in chapel that day, and Dr. Wilson went to hear him in chapel. Uh, afterwards, Dr. Wilson uh, went up to him and said, young man, I will not need to hear you again. If you're invited back to the seminary, and invited to preach in chapel, I won't need to hear you. I, I like to come and hear my former students to see if they are big godders or little godders. And I can tell from what you've said this morning that you are a big godder, and I can tell what kind of ministry you'll have. Well, the student was a little bit puzzled and confused by Dr. Wilson's words, and he said, sir, I don't quite follow what you're getting at. And Dr. Wilson said, well, some men have a little God and they're always in trouble with him. He can't do any miracles. He can't be trusted. And he certainly could not have been trusted to have inspired Scripture uh, so that it is inerrant. He doesn't have the power to intervene in the lives of his children or watch after them in any way. They have a little God, and so I call them little godders. And then there are those who have a big God. He speaks, and it is done. He commands, and it stands fast. He knows how to show himself strong in their behalf. Son, I'm glad to hear that you are a big godder and because of that I know that he will bless your ministry and bless your life and you will do well God bless you son and Dr. Wilson turned and walked away now folks what we've been seeing in the life of Joseph is how God has been consistently at work in his life despite the valleys that he's had to walk through Joseph was a big godder. He testifies repeatedly how God has been with him and watched over him every step of the way. And he knows that God is able to help him and that God is able to deliver him. That's been Joseph's steadfast conviction. 
Folks, the fact that we believe in a providential God who is sovereign over all the affairs of men does not mean that we're not responsible for working. It's precisely because we're confident in the working of a providential God that we work because we know our efforts will not be in vain. That's one of the lessons in the parable of the soils. Some may interpret the parable as saying that the majority of the seed falls uh, into ground that does not produce good fruit. And while that's true, the fact of the matter is Jesus was showing his disciples that some seed will indeed bear fruit. Not everybody will listen, but some will. And we have the assurance that God will bring a harvest. God has ordained the means by which the harvest is reached. It's through the sowing of the seed. God's word will not return to him void. And so we do ministry with that assurance. And so again, God's providence, God's sovereignty is not an excuse for not being about his work. It's the reason that we should be about his work. Now, when we left off last week, we saw that Joseph has been tossed into prison because Mrs. Weinstein kept making sexual advances to Joseph. And when Joseph refused her and would not sleep with her, she falsely accuses him and she tells her husband a lie about Joseph. And the husband gets angry and casts him into prison. Well, as we engage with uh, chapter 40, 11 years have now passed since Joseph was originally sold into slavery by his brothers. And so Joseph is now 28 years old. First thing I want you to see with me tonight is Joseph's rise to power. Joseph's fellow prisoners and their dreams. Joseph's rise to power, his fellow prisoners and their dreams. And write down chapter 40 out beside that. We're told here about two more prisoners who joined Joseph in prison. They've been officials in Pharaoh's court. One is the cupbearer and the other is the baker. Now these were men who would oversee what Pharaoh ate and drank. Now I want you to keep in mind, uh, ancient kings, people were always trying to kill ancient kings. It wasn't unusual for there to be some uprising against them, some coup against them. Sometimes it would be people within their own court. And so the cupbearer would be the one who would taste the wine before the king, or the pharaoh in this case, drank it. They were sometimes referred to as men who were pure of hands. Pure of hands. Meaning that they had to be men of integrity. They had to be trusted men who were literally willing to lay down their life for the sake of the king. They were guinea pigs. 
they would have to taste what was on the king's table to make sure it wouldn't poison the king. Now, can you imagine having a job like that? You know, if he drinks it or eats it and he lives, hey, then king, you can go ahead and eat. But if he takes it and drinks it or eats it and dies, then we need to bring some other food in here for you. Could you imagine a job like that? You'd what? You'd have to get another cupbearer if that one died. But literally, they would bring cupbearers in to taste everything. Who else do you remember in the Old Testament had that job? Nehemiah. Exactly. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king, to Artaxerxes. And the baker would prepare the king's food. They were known as scribes. Now, you didn't hear that wrong. They were known as table scribes. Table scribes. Kind of a takeoff on what we normally think of as a a writing scribe. They would be in charge of the king's menu. Now, something has happened to offend the Pharaoh. We're not told exactly what it was, but he has his cupbearer and his baker tossed into prison. But again, folks, do you think this is a coincidence? Absolutely not. God is getting these men in place for a reason. Because Joseph is there. Potiphar had Joseph tossed in prison. But even out of prison, guess what? Joseph is not out of God's reach. God sends men to prison, one who will be responsible for getting Joseph out of prison. I want you to remember, chapter 39 closed with the prison guard placing Joseph in charge of all the prisoners. So Joseph is now in charge of these latest two inmates as well. Well, welcome to dreamland. Both of these men have dreams. Do you ever have a recurring dream? Anybody in here? You've had a recurring dream? You mind saying what it is if can if it's not too long? You used to work in you you were a psychologist in prison. Really? Some prisoners were chasing you. Okay. Okay, somebody was. Did you get away? (laughs) By the way, they met in prison. Y'all know that, right? He was a psychologist and you were a nurse or a social worker? Secretary. Okay, so they met in prison. You know, I've I've had this recurring dream. Uh, it's Sunday morning. It's time to preach, and uh, 
I have no idea what I'm going to preach. And I'm up on the platform, and I, I mean, if anything like that ever happened, most preachers who've been in the ministry any amount of time could come up with something. But I'm searching from Genesis to Revelation, and I cannot figure out a single thing that I'm going to preach on. And the hymns are playing, the announcements are being done, it's the offering, and I mean the offering's coming to an end, it's time for me to walk up to the pulpit, and I'm walking up to the pulpit, and I'm frantic, and I wake up. You've had that same dream? (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they are. I tell you what, you wake up in a cold sweat. You really do. <laughs> now, folks, we know that in the Bible, before they had the complete canon of Scripture, God spoke on occasion to his people in dreams. We see that in the Old Testament. Now, today, We should not seek after that as the means of communication from God to us. Why? Because we have the Bible. We have Scripture. Now, in places all over the world where the Bible is not allowed and where Christian missionaries are not allowed, usually in Muslim nations, guess what testimonies coming out of Muslim nations are today? Dreams. Have you read recently about the fastest growing underground church in the world? Have you read about that? In Iran, among Muslim women. Muslim women are having dreams and God is revealing to them that Jesus is Messiah and they're coming to faith in Jesus in Iran. And you remember the story I've told you before about Steve Hardy. I've got a few of the details probably wrong, but Steve Hardy, who was the mission pastor at Calvary Baptist in Winston-Salem, he preached one of our mission Sundays. He used to be a huge guy. He's down to about 200 pounds, about half of his size now, because he had a gastric bypass surgery. But in April of 03, when our soldiers were pulling down the statue in the square at Baghdad of Saddam Hussein, they were pulling it down. Uh, Calvary Baptist in Winston-Salem had missionaries on the ground in Baghdad. And Steve was with them. A guy walks up to Steve and says, can you tell me the true way of salvation? And Steve said, yes, I can. And Steve led him to faith in Jesus. And he said to Steve, last night in a dream, God told me that today on the streets of Baghdad, I would meet a very large American who could tell me the true way of salvation. So yes, in parts of the world where they don't have Bibles, don't have missionaries, God's reaching people with dreams. So it does happen, but it's not the normal means of communicating. You know what strikes me funny? It always strikes me funny that today there will be people in America with Bibles on every shelf that want God to speak to them that way and yet they have a Bible on the shelf and they don't take the time or the effort to take the Bible that they have and open it up and read it. 
They want God to speak to them, but they ignore how God speaks. Something sad and tragic about that. Well, immediately the next morning, these two guys are dejected. I mean, Joseph looks at their faces and he can tell something is wrong. They tell Joseph uh, what's wrong. Joseph says, hey guys, God interprets dreams. In other words, Joseph doesn't say, tell me, I can do it. He says, tell me, because there's a God in heaven who can do it. He points to God. Now, folks, remember, Joseph is somebody who has already had experience with dreams himself. Remember that? The sheaves bowing down to his sheaf, and then the sun and the moon and the stars bowing down to him and his brothers and his dad, was they were offended by that. Uh So obviously Joseph knows that he has the gift of understanding dreams and interpreting dreams, but he knows likewise it's a gift that God has given to him. Joseph knows it's not him, it's God. Now let me stop right there and say to you, whatever gift you have, whatever gift God's given you, it's God, it's not you. You and I need to remember that. Don't take credit for it. Give glory to God because we're nothing without Him and can do nothing without Him. You and I are to be stewards of what God gives to us. God gives the gifts and as good stewards, we carry out the gift, but we do so pointing to Him. Well, at any rate, these two guys have dreams. Now, the Egyptians, the ancient Egyptians put great stock in dreams. They even had magicians with dream books. Magicians with with dream text, dream books that they used. They believed that dreams put you into contact with another world, a spiritual realm. But again, Joseph knows it's God. Dr. Kent Hughes, in his commentary on Genesis, he says, the making of a great leader is happening here with Joseph. Joseph cares about these two men. He sees them dejected, and he wants to help. When many people in prison might have said, leave me alone, that's your problem. And in addition to caring about these two men, Joseph is relying on God to give direction and help. He knows that it is God who holds the future. And so as Dr. Hughes says, Joseph has compassion for his fellow man and he has a steadfast trust in God. So again, what do we have here? The making of a leader. Well, notice what Joseph says will happen. Both men will have their head lifted up. One will have his head lifted up, meaning a return to service. The other will have his head lifted up, meaning what? A hanging. 
<laughs> he will be hanged. Ouch. <laughs> well, when the baker saw that Joseph's interpretation for the cupbearer was so encouraging, he wanted his dream interpreted too. But you know what? After he heard what Joseph had to say, maybe he was maybe he was sorry he asked. <laughs> you know what else we see here though? We see Joseph's integrity and honesty here, don't we? He's only sharing what God has told him to share. If you read Isaiah, the books of Isaiah and Jeremiah, for example, what did the false prophets say? They said, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And the soothsayers that, will, that were false prophets in their own right, also, what did they tell people? They told people only what people wanted to hear. But Joseph is simply telling these two men what God has revealed to him, whether the news is good news or whether it's bad news. So we see Joseph being a true prophet here. Well, Joseph tells the future. And that shouldn't surprise us at all because God knows the future. History, after all, is his story. And so God reveals what will happen to these two men and it happens just as God revealed it. But the cupbearer, look at this guy. What's he do? Forgets all about Joseph. Isn't that just like a lot of people who are self-serving? As long as they get what they want, they simply forget about everybody else. Talk about cold-hearted. That's what this guy is. He doesn't give Joseph another thought. Joseph specifically asked this guy to remember him when this guy was returned to service. But this guy doesn't. Self-serving. Well, secondly, I want you to see the rise of Joseph being made complete. The rise of Joseph being made complete. Pick up in verse 1 of chapter 41. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed uh, grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. 
Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about, I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, in my dream, I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as, I, as I've never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they'd eaten them, no one would have known that they'd eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blinded by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain after the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants, and Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there's none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, 
and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zephanath-Paneah, and he gave him in marriage to Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Now, chapter 40, as I mentioned, largely prepares us for what we see in chapter 41. We're told about the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker, of course, in chapter 40, getting us ready for the dreams of Pharaoh himself. Now, two more years have passed. So Joseph is how old? 30 years old. Very good, class. Now, I'm sure the day after the cupbearer had been released, Joseph must have been looking at the prison doors the next morning thinking, okay, today they're going to come for me. And they didn't. Maybe tomorrow. They didn't. Maybe the next day. Week after week went by. And then month after month. Must have been very disheartening for him to know that he's been forgotten. Folks, when you read the Bible, one thing you need to understand is how long people waited. We want what we want, and we want it now. But that's not the way God works. I mean, just think back to Abraham and Sarah, how long they waited for a son. Think of Moses being there in Midian, tending his father-in-law's flock for how many years? Forty years. That's right. Forty years. Think about Simeon and Anna in the temple. They're old people now. When Joseph and Mary are bringing the baby Jesus and they want to hold Jesus and God had revealed to them that they would not die until they saw the Messiah. And Simeon says, now that I've seen him, I can die. But he's an old man. He's waited all of those years. Folks, we are very, very impatient when it comes to God's work. But God doesn't work on our timetable. Think of all of the disappointments so far in Joseph's life. I mean, just think back over his life and everything that's happened to him and all the time that's passed. One writer says, Delay never thwarts God's purposes. It only polishes His instrument. Well, we're told about Pharaoh's dreams. One thing we need to realize, 
about these dreams and the interpretation of them. Egypt was the breadbasket of the ancient world. Why? Because of the Nile. You can, you can call up on your computer satellite images of Egypt. And all around Egypt and surrounding countries, it'll be brown. But then where the Nile is, and remember the Nile runs from south to north, it'll be like a, a, a flower that blooms at the top or a, a tree. And it'll be green as a gourd. And then when you get up around Goshen, uh, where it flows into the sea right up above and it widens out, it's green as a gourd. What the ancient world would do in times of famine was go to Egypt. Because again, because of the Nile, they would have grain. They would have food. Who has done that previously, do you remember, in the book of Genesis? Abram. Gone down, gone down to Egypt in a time of famine. Folks, if Egypt ever faced a famine, you know what that meant? That probably meant that hundreds of thousands of other people in the ancient world we're going to starve to death. If Egypt ever had a famine, everybody was in trouble. If the breadbasket had a famine, if their shelves were empty, their fields were empty, the world really was in trouble. What God is doing is working in such a way to preserve the descendants of Abraham. Not only will God work in mighty ways through them, but the Messiah will come through them. So what God's going to do in Egypt, because God knows who's going to be coming down to Egypt for food and seeing Joseph. Joseph's brothers. Israel's sons. God is preserving His people. Now, Pharaoh has two troubling dreams and all of the magicians are totally useless to help. And then all of a sudden, the cupbearer, he remembers his shortcomings. Now, as I said earlier, he's a selfish man. But, now think of it this way too, the other angle. In all probability, had he remembered Joseph earlier and told Pharaoh about Joseph before Pharaoh was desperate for answers, in all probability, Pharaoh would have dismissed it. And so the cupbearer is remembering now, but it's God's perfect timing. Pharaoh calls for Joseph. Hebrew men had beards. Hebrew men had beards. Egyptian men did not. 
Egyptian men shaved. Now, Joseph would have been nasty from these years in prison. They get Joseph cleaned up and shaven. They get him looking like an Egyptian, and then he appears before Pharaoh. Now, what does Joseph do once again? He gives God credit. Pharaoh says, I've heard that you can interpret dreams. Now, a lesser man might have tried to make himself more indispensable than he is, but not Joseph. Joseph says, no, I can't, but God can. And folks, what you need to also see is what a slapping face to all of the Egyptian gods this was. They were a land of gods, a land of false gods and idols. But all of these false gods and idols were useless to help. But there's a true and living God in heaven and he can intervene. So Pharaoh and the Egyptians should have seen a contrast here between Joseph's God and the Egyptian gods. Joseph lets him know the dreams are one and the same. One is of cows and the other is of corn or grain. But the meaning is one and the same. When Pharaoh hears what the dreams mean, look at what he says about Joseph. Nobody wiser than you. You be in charge. And so he promotes Joseph and Joseph ends up becoming second in command over all the land of Egypt. It's certainly a rags to riches story. Folks, it's clear not only does Joseph have the God-given ability to interpret dreams, but he also has the gifts of administration and leadership. And so Pharaoh turns everything over to him. And by giving Joseph his signet ring and the royal clothing and a chariot, Pharaoh is also giving Joseph the public recognition and the power that he will need to carry out this task. Pharaoh is making sure everybody knows that he is empowering Joseph to do what he's instructed Joseph to do. Also, what's being made clear, Egypt is not being saved because of Pharaoh. The future of Egypt is not going to be in Pharaoh's hands. Egypt is being saved because of the God of Joseph. What's that tell us? World leaders do not write the future. God does. World leaders only serve at God's good pleasure and God's allowance. It's God who writes the future. Now folks, one very important thing to see here that is part of the story of redemption in the Bible through a descendant of Abraham, namely Joseph, Jews and Gentiles will be saved. Does that have a familiar ring to it? Sure. Later on, the Messiah, through the Messiah, the good news will go out how? Jew first and also to the Gentile. So this is sort of a prefiguring 
in the physical realm of what will happen later through the Messiah in the spiritual realm. A descendant of Abraham is a blessing here to Jew and Gentile, Jew and Egyptian. Later on, Jesus, the good news of Jesus, Jew and Gentile. Now, two more things to point out before we close tonight. Some have questioned Joseph marrying Egyptian women because they would have been outside of the covenant family. But remember, Joseph is is uh, not doing this by his own choice. This is being chosen for him. And the line, don't forget this, the line of Israel will carry on not through Joseph, but through Joseph's brothers. The other sons of Israel will be where the lineage of the Jews goes goes from yeah sure and now one more thing to keep in mind here too and I want to emphasize something here one more thing one more application this is this is what I'm about to say this is not the primary application of this text this is not the primary application This is only a secondary application. But what's this text say to us about years of plenty and years of lean? And the actions that Joseph had him do. Does that have anything to say to you and me today? Prepare. In good years, lay up in store. Because guess what? Living in a fallen world, tough times are eventually coming somehow, some way for most people. And so I think, again, even though it's not the primary application we're to glean from this text, I think it has a valuable application. If you're enjoying plenty, Lay up in store for when you might not be enjoying plenty. Okay. That's all we'll cover tonight. It's getting late. 